Good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm thankful that we're blessed to be able to assemble here together, be with one another as we unite our hearts and minds in service to our Lord. This morning, if the Lord would bless us, I'd like to spend a little while looking at the subject of prayer. I remember a number of years ago when there was a great debate about prayer in the public schools. And I remember one little saying that came out at that time as the government sought to eliminate prayer from schools. A little thought and a little saying came out, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in school. Well, that's probably true. And I'm sure what we have seen in the last few months, that there has been a great number of prayers that have gone up. And perhaps you have been like I was tempted to pray many times, 2020, please go away. And we have prayed that were things that trouble us greatly, turmoil and all kinds of issues that would come up. We have prayed for things. And in the last year, especially in the last few months, that we've prayed about our nation. And I know many people have had different prayers about the direction that our nation is going in. And all of these prayers, and sometimes we may ask the question of ourselves, is God hearing our prayers? Does God answer our prayers? And so it comes to my mind that we perhaps need to spend some time in the scriptures not only talking about prayer, but more specifically, let's look at some prayers in the scripture that was answered. And I think if we see in the scriptures a number of prayers that were answered, it perhaps will give us some encouragement that yes, our God in heaven hears our prayers. And yes, the God in heaven answers our prayers now as we begin here this morning i want to just remind everybody just a few things you know we can look in first thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 17 and i really didn't have to turn there to quote this scripture pray without ceasing that should be a description of our life that we are indeed praying without ceasing. And Paul goes on there and he says in the 18th verse, in everything give thanks. So we are to be praying all the time, every day, several times a day. And one of the things that should mark our prayers is of giving of thanks. No matter what condition that we are in, financial-wise, health-wise, spiritual-wise, we need to be thankful for the things that we do have. And perhaps if there's anything that marks the generation in this nation, the failures that we have, perhaps it is this, that we have failed to give God thanks for what he has given us. We should always be thankful. And we should express those thanks unto God. And then as we turn over to the book of James in chapter 5, 
We can read in verse 13 where it says, Is any among you afflicted? I'll ask that question here. Uh, Everybody that's sitting here this morning, do you know of anybody who is afflicted? Health afflictions, financial afflictions, spiritual afflictions, emotional afflictions. Do you know of anybody like that? I think we all do, don't we? What's the answer? Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. That's what we need to be doing is praying when we're afflicted. Then verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now, they use the term elders there. I don't believe it's the one talking about the ones we refer to as elders of being ordained to the ministry. He's calling for those ones of the church who are established in the faith. Let them pray over those that are sick. And he said in verse 15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And then he says in verse 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. When I think about this idea of confessing my faults to other people, I really hesitate. You know, certainly I have faults. All of God's ministers have faults. And all of us have faults. And we need to confess these faults one to another. You know, sometimes we think that we're a spiritual superman. And we have no faults. And we all have all this strength. But the truth of the matter is that we need to be communicating with one another, letting one another know that our, we have faults and failures and weaknesses. Why? He says, and pray one for another that you may be healed. We need to be praying for one another. If I have a certain weakness, a certain fault, I need somebody to be praying for me that the Lord will protect me from that, that he'll lift me up and protect me that I might walk in a more holy way. Well, how can you pray for my fault that the Lord will strengthen me if you don't know it? We need to be communicating with one another and strengthening one another, praying for one another. And then he says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then he goes through that example of Elias that says, pray that it might not rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and it rained. You see, prayer works. Sometimes we relegate prayer to a very low item. You know, somebody comes to me and they've got a problem, they've got some issue, I'm going to, Say, okay, I'm going to talk to them and give you spiritual guidance. I'm going to go talk to other people involved in this situation. Need to, I'm going to go talk to other people, maybe help you get a job, do this, get food, whatever you need. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to pray for you too. You know, I've been trying to fix people's problems for years with my own intelligence, my own understanding of scriptures, with the word of God and what I could find other people that I knew could help them. You know what the most important thing that we can do? is pray for somebody. Because when we're praying for somebody, 
you know, if somebody's hungry, I'll call the grocery store or call somebody who has the ability to go to the grocery store and get them some food. Wouldn't it be better for me to call and talk to the one who created the food and created all things, has all power and all might, power that is available to us through the meeting of prayer? We should never hesitate to pray for ourselves, one for another, and pray for our church. We need to continue to pray. But let's go back to 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings, I want to look at uh, a few prayers that's back here that have been answered. And again, the reason I want to look at answered prayers is so that we will be encouraged to know that our God in heaven does indeed answer our prayers. Go back to 2 Kings chapter 4. This is the time of the prophet Elisha. And the prophet Elisha had traveled around from place to place and preaching and, and doing the things that a prophet did, encouraging people and telling them how they ought to live. And there was a certain Shunammite woman there that, that uh, saw the prophet, knew who he was. And this is starting in verse 8 of this chapter. And this woman told her husband, said, the prophet is coming through here. Let's add a little room on the side of our house here. And let us put a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick in there for him. So when he's traveling along, he doesn't have to sleep outside or or beg a place to stay, he'll have a place to stay when he comes by this way. She showed great kindness unto the prophet and his servant. And the prophet Elisha wanted to thank the woman for what she had done, done it out of the goodness of her heart, not to gain anything. And so he sent a message to her and said, what do you want? And basically she said, nothing. Well, then Gehazi, the servant, said, you know, she didn't ask for anything, but she would like a child. She's barren. And she would love to have a son. And Elisha prayed, and she had a son. And after a number of years after that son was born, the son had went out, I don't know how old he was, I'm assuming, probably 10 years old or younger. May have been just six or seven. Went out to the field where his father was reaping the crops and something happened. He complained about his head, great pain in his head. Father told one of the servants, pick him up, take him back home. And that little boy died. There on his mother's lap, he passed away. And as soon as he died, the mother laid him down, and she made a beeline to Elisha, found out where he was at, went unto to Elisha. And when Elisha saw her, noticed the words that she said. Verse 26 she said, is it well with thee? Here's a question to ask her. Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, 
it is well. I'm telling you, that's a mark of faith in this woman. Her son, her only son that had been promised under her by the prophet, that only son had died. And when the, aunt, the question came, how is it with thee? How is it with thy husband? How is it with thy child? She said, it is well. Can you say that when you go such a trial as this woman went through, losing her only son? She said, it is well. This reminds me of a song that we sing. The song, I, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure what number it is in our book, It Is Well With My Soul. The man that wrote that song, H.G. Spafford, was crossing the ocean to go be with his wife. Their four daughters had drowned after a collision of ships in the ocean. And near to the spot where the ship went down, where his daughters drowned, he wrote that song. It is well with my soul. What kind of faith does it take to utter those words in times of trials and discouragements and the tragedies of life that you can say, it is well? How could she say that? Because she knew God. She knew that God was in control. That God had all power and all might. That God could do all kinds of things. And she knew that no matter what happened in this life, she knew that she would see her son again in all eternity forever and ever. She had that faith, I believe, and that strength. Now, to get back to an answered prayer, if we get back to the story, Elisha came unto the, the home and came to where that child lay. And we get later on in this chapter, in the verse 3, Elisha says, He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And it tells us what he also did. He prayed, he laid his hands and he, uh, uh, upon the child. He had his eyes to the child's eyes, stretched his hands and put them on the hands of that child. And he prayed and that child came back to life. Here was one that was dead. And Elisha prayed that the Lord would restore the life unto this young boy. What did God do? He restored his life. Now, that was a pretty hefty prayer, wasn't it? You know, I've prayed a lot of time that the Lord would bless me for the food for tomorrow. That bless me the strength to go to work in the morning. I've prayed for things like that. I've never prayed that God would bring somebody back to life. That was a pretty hefty prayer, wasn't it? And God answered that prayer. Now, what would have happened if God had not answered that prayer? And that child would have not been restored to life. You know what the situation would be in that case? That mother 
and that child today would be together in heaven, would they not? Just like they are. You see, we need to keep things in perspective when we're praying. But here is a prayer answered greatly. Now, let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 6. This perhaps is one of my favorite chapters. I've got several of them. Uh, but this is one of my favorite chapters. One of my favorite miracles, if you will, or favorite prayers answered in all the scriptures. Here the prophet Elisha is traveling in, in the nation of Israel and is in a battle with the king of Syria. So there's a conflict and a battle going on. And so when the king of Syria, he has some, some battle plans and he, he hears that the king of Israel is in a certain place and so he sends his armies to go kill the king of Israel. But the problem is, the Lord tells Elisha what the king of Syria is going to do. So he sends a message to the king of Israel saying, the king of Syria is coming after you. You need to leave. And so the king of Israel did that. And he was saved. That happened three times. Three times. And after the third time that the king of Israel had escaped from the king of Syria, the king of Syria got a little bit upset. Understandably. And he made a conclusion. Somebody is telling the king of Israel what my plans are. He was right in that, wasn't he? But his conclusion was that it was somebody on his staff, that there was a traitor amongst him. And in verse 11, he says, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He said, One of you is betraying me. One of you is a traitor. Which one of you is it? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Here the king of Israel knew what he was doing because God had told him through the servant, Elisha. So the king of Syria said, okay, here's the problem. Here's the reason I can't be successful in my war. We're going to go kill Elisha. There's a problem. We're going to take care of it. Sounds like a typical general, doesn't it? You know, that's typical thinking. So word comes back, Elisha. Here is Elisha, the one that's telling the king all of our plans. He's in Dothan. So the king of Syria gathers up his armies, and they go down to the city of Dothan where Elisha is, and in the middle of the night they surround it with their horses and their chariots. And then early in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up, goes outside. Now, if this was in this day and time, uh, we'd say he went out on his front porch to drink his coffee and check his email. Now, he may have had coffee. I'm pretty sure he didn't check his email. But he went outside. He looked around in the early hours of the morning, enjoying the morning. And he looked up, and the city was surrounded by the Syrians, their enemies. And he was greatly troubled. You would too, wouldn't you? If you woke up in the morning and the city of Lubbock was surrounded by 
the Russians or the Chinese or somebody and they were ready to open fire. You'd be concerned too, wouldn't you? And then he woke up Elisha in verse 15. The servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And you know what Elisha said? Elisha said something that marked a servant of God, a true servant of God that had his head screwed on right, that knew his God. You know what he said? Fear not. You know, that's an admonition of us all that we need today. You perhaps don't understand what's going on in this world and our nation. You're concerned about the things that's going on in this nation. You know what my response is to you this morning? Fear not. You say, well, don't stick your head in the sand. I'm not. You know, I'm, I look at the things going around in this world today. I've got concerns, but I'm not fearing. I don't have fear about what's going to happen. You know, I make predictions in my own heart from time to time what's going to happen. But I'm not in fear. Well, what if you die tomorrow? What if, what if the president sends somebody to assassinate you? That's fine. I'm not scared. God's in control. I'm not worried about it. If the Lord allows me to go home early, that's great. I'm all for that. If he preserves me, that's fine. I'll keep doing what he wants me. Fear not. Isn't that a good admonition for all of us today? Fear not. But then notice what he continues on. He said, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I've, I've imagined this a hundred times in my mind. When Elisha got through uttering those words, that servant heard him, and he turned around and he started looking and all of those Syrians round about the city, and he looked here, and here's a soldier here, and maybe a couple of, of armed people over here, and he's sitting in his heart saying, I don't know what you're counting, but I don't count it that way. You know, I don't understand. I don't see that. Now, it looks to me like we're outnumbered a whole bunch. That's perhaps what he was saying in his mind. But then here's a prayer that is answered. Here's, here's what I'm getting to in this whole passage here. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Now, this was a, an amazing thing he was asking for. Now, you thought raising somebody from the dead was, was pretty aggressive a while ago when we were back in chapter 4, which it was. Now... He's asking, Lord, show my servant some supernatural things that men don't normally get to see. And it says, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You know what he saw when God opened his eyes that he could see spiritual things. He saw God's angels, God's horses, and God's chariots surrounding the Syrians. The Syrians thought they had Elisha surrounded, but God had the Syrians surrounded. And he was blessed 
to see that. You know, maybe you and I need to pray that God would open our eyes to see God's host round about us, protecting us. Now, here's something that's interesting in that story. You know, here the Syrians that couldn't see what Elisha and his servant was seeing, they thought they were controlled, they had the city surrounded, so they came in to attack. And Elisha, the one who prayed and had prayers answered, you know what he does? He prays. Now he just got through praying that the Lord would open the eyes of his servant. Now what is he going to pray for? Lord, close the eyes of these coming to attack us. So all of that Syrian army that was coming in, God answered their prayer and they all become blind. <laughs> he opened the eyes of one man and now he's closing the eyes of a whole bunch of them. Now, if you was in a fight with somebody, I don't know how many fights you've been in. Uh, I've been in a few. Uh, didn't turn out well. I guess maybe that's the reason I went to preaching instead of being a professional boxer. But anyhow, uh, I wasn't very good at that. But I honestly believe that I could have had a successful fighting career if every one of my opponents would be blind. <laughs> they couldn't see me. But I could see them. I might have an advantage, maybe. You know, wouldn't you think you could fight somebody better if they were blind? Well, that happened. And so what few people were there in the city of Dothan, this army came in and the army was blind, and Elisha led them back. And he led them to the middle of the army that... They were trying to destroy. And when they got there, Elisha prayed again. What did he pray this time? Lord, open their eyes. And so they opened their eyes, and they were surrounded by an army. And you know what the king of Israel did? And again, I've just, I've just pictured this in my mind. Basically what he was saying, and this isn't exactly words, but this is real close. Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? <laughs> I mean, he had the army. The Syrian army surrounded. And he wanted to kill him. This is my chance. Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? And you know what Elisha told him? Nope. Feed him. <laughs> Feed him and send him away. Now, for that generation, there was no more battle between Syria and Israel. Now, Elisha prayed. Was his prayers answered? Yes. God answers prayers. Now let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 20. Let's look at another prayer that was answered. Beginning in verse 1 of 2 Kings 20, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. I've wanted messages from the Lord in a long time. You know, I'm ready and willing to serve the Lord. I just wish I knew what he wanted. And here in the last few years, sometimes I've been tempted to say, Lord, would you just send me an email? Send me a text to let me know what to do. 
Well, Hezekiah got a message from the Lord. Wasn't the one he wanted. You're going to die. So let's look what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how have I walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. He's praying unto the Lord for mercy that his life might be spared. Do you think the Lord had forgotten those things that Hezekiah had done? No, he hadn't. The Lord doesn't forget anything. And Hezekiah says, Lord, I've been trying to serve you. I've been trying to do what you wanted me to do. Spare me. Have mercy upon me. Here is a prayer that he might live. And in verse 4, now you remember Isaiah came in, gave the message to Hezekiah, you're going to die, turned around and left, walking through the court, walking out of the palace, heading home. And it says, it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out of the middle court, that the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, turn again and tell Hezekiah that now I want to paraphrase this a little bit. Go tell him he's going to live and he's got 15 more years to live. I mean, that was a quick prayer and a quick answer, wasn't it? Here's a prayer answered. A prayer for mercy. Now I want to bring up something here. Hezekiah lived for 15 more years. And he was a pretty good king. He tried to do righteous things. Three years after this event right here, he had a son. Son's name was Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings that Israel had ever had. Wicked king, horrible king. So if Hezekiah would have died before that son was born. When, if he would have died when the word first came unto him, it would have spared Israel a lot of suffering. Why? Why then did God answer that prayer? Why did he allow Hezekiah to live when he knew during that time period, during that 15 years of Manasseh would be born. God knew the serious, horrible things that Manasseh was going to do as king. He knew that Israel would be led back into idolatry. Why would God allow Hezekiah to live? Because God is a merciful God. He had mercy upon Hezekiah and you know sometimes our God will answer our prayers and give us what we need give us what we ask for what we want sometimes even though the end result may not be beneficial to us God in his mercy and in his love 
will sometimes answer prayers, but it may not be the best thing in the long run. That's the kind of God that we serve. I heard a preacher say one time when he's talking about the mercy of God, and he explained it this way, and for those of you that, that uh, may not be uh, gun-oriented, you know, I, uh, I hate to say I have guns. Maybe I want to be like Brother Seth. Brother Seth made a statement one time that he lost all his guns when his boat overturned in the lake. You know, that's his official answer if he has guns or not, and my answer may be similar to that. But anyhow, I learned years ago with guns that some triggers you have to pull real hard to get the gun to shoot. Got a real hard pull. But some guns have a hair trigger. Just touch of a hair, and it'll make that gun go off. And I heard a man describe the mercy of God as having a hair trigger. Does it take much for God to extend his mercy? You know why? Because he loves you and I. He wants to give us mercy. He wants to give us grace. That is the God that we serve. Now, let's jump over real quick to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to have to hurry in the interest of time. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. And Peter committed a horrible crime. He believed in Jesus Christ, and he preached Christ. And so he was in prison for this. And as soon as he was put in prison... The church met together and started praying. And the church started praying for Peter, and I think probably their prayer was probably, Lord, give Peter strength, help him to be strong spiritually as he, he faces this, and, and they expected him to be executed. I think perhaps they were praying, Lord, Give him the strength to take this trial like a true Christian and help him be strong to death, Lord, and help him to praise thee even with his last breath. Well, they started praying for Peter and, his, and for the Lord to bless Peter. And I can explain here after a while if you want me to why I believe that. But anyhow, when they started praying for Peter, you know what happened to Peter? I mean, he was in prison. He was chained. I mean, he had chains on his arms. Those chains fell off. And Angel beckoned, get up, follow me. And as they walked out of the prison, ever locked prison door opened. He just walked out. Don't you like the God that can answer prayers in that way? We sing a song, I need the prayers of those I love. I need the prayers of each and every one of you. And each and every one of you need my prayers. We need to pray for one another. Now, when Peter went to those people's praying for him, they didn't want to be interrupted because they were busy praying for Peter. And they finally recognized Peter and they rejoiced. Now, here's another prayer that was, was answered in a different way than was expected. They wanted him to have spiritual strength. The Lord gave him something better, gave him liberty and freedom. Now, let's go to one more prayer that was, was prayed, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 8. Well, let's back up verse 7. Paul's telling about his experience. 
had this great experience of being lifted up into heaven. It says in verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What was that thorn? I don't know. People speculated hours at length about what it was. It doesn't make any difference. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then notice verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. Did God hear this prayer? Yes. Did God grant him what he prayed for? No. I kind of changed gears, didn't I? We've been looking at prayers that were answered. But we need to be reminded that God didn't answer Paul's prayer to have that thorn removed. But you know what the Lord did tell Paul? Paul prayed that that thorn might be removed. God came back and says, nope. He said in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. What God was telling Paul is, you don't need the thorn removed. I'm going to give you what you need. That's what you and I need to remember in this life. If God doesn't answer our prayer, if he doesn't give us what we ask for, what do we need to remember? His grace is sufficient. You say, well, if he doesn't answer my prayer, I'm going to be weak and helpless. You know what he told Paul here in verse 9 after he said, my grace is sufficient? He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when God doesn't answer our prayers, we need to remember that God's grace is sufficient. You say, well, well, how do I know whether God is just saying no? How do I know he even heard my prayers? Well, you need to have wisdom. How are you going to get wisdom? Remember James chapter 1 in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. I pray today that we all have wisdom as we walk in this life. That wisdom we need when we're praying to God, knowing what we should ask for, how we should ask it, when we should ask for it, and the wisdom to know how God answers his prayers. I'm thankful that we have the strongest weapon in the world, the weapon of prayer. For with that weapon, we can talk to the creator of the universe. Let us be strong in faith as we pray and serve the Lord. May God bless you.